Let's go and pray, and we'll go ahead and get started then. Uh, Lord, we're just thankful for the time to be here this morning and just for just the season that we're in. Thank you for this, Lord. We pray those kids just heard about you, learn of you, grow in you, seeds were planted, and we just want to pray, Lord, that that is just a fruitful harvest for you and your glory. Thank you for all you're doing. And right now, you teach, we listen through your Holy Spirit in your name. Amen. You know, most other years when we do uh, VBS Sunday, there's usually a theme of VBS, and I usually stop what book we're going through, and then kind of do a message associated with that with Vacation Bible School. This worked out really well, since we are going through the book of Acts, and we're talking about the life of Paul, and the theme of VBS was about the life of Paul. It was nice just to continue right on into Acts chapter 28 here as we continue talking about Paul and Paul's ministry. Now, if you haven't been with us the last few weeks, Paul just got shipwrecked on the island of Malta. And just a little bit of background to kind of get to where we're at here. This idea of about two and a half years before this event happened, it was prophesied over Paul that uh, Paul was going to be arrested and he was also going to go to Rome. Now, that's exactly what happened. But through his arrest and through his time imprisonment, he got a chance to witness to the Jewish mob, the Jewish Sanhedrin, the Roman governors, King Agrippa, all these people God used over a span of two and a half years. And then when Paul was being sent to Rome, to Rome to then go to trial there, now he's on this prison ship with 276 other people and he gets a chance to witness to them. Now the ship is shipwrecked. We talked about that last week in Acts 27. But the important part of that is the sovereign authority of God allowed that shipwreck to happen. And during that storm, the Lord used that to really have Paul minister to other people. And we talk about how shipwrecks can be difficult. We do everything we can to stay out of the shipwreck. But yet God says, I use those shipwrecks to really further the gospel because that's all that matters. And so what happens now is the ship has wrecked. God has promised that everyone would be safe. God has promised that, Paul, you'll still get a chance to go to Rome to witness to me. And now they're on the island Malta. And let's see what happens. Verse 1 of Acts 28. Now when they had escaped, they had found out that the island was called Malta. And the natives showed us unusual kindness for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. A couple of things here real quick. Island Malta. You should have a map in the back of your Bible and it's going to have a map of the different missionary journeys of Paul. This one probably calls it Paul's fourth missionary journey. That's when he went to Rome. And you're going to see the island of Malta is just off uh, the island of Sicily, south of Rome, you can see it there. And number two, verse two, where it calls them the natives. Some of your translations may call them the barbarians. These were fine people. They were not barbarians. They were not natives. The New Testament was written in Greek, and the idea that anybody who wasn't Greek is a barbarian. So they're called barbarians. Now, if you see the word natives, you're probably thinking of natives and native dress, etc. No, it's just saying these are the people native to that island. So they show up and they welcome them. What a blessing it is. It's cold, it's raining, it's wet. They've just been shipwrecked. What happens? Verse 3. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow to live. But he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. However, when they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had looked for a long time and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. In that region there was a, a state of the leading citizen of the island whose name was Pubilus, who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery. Paul went into him and prayed, and he laid his hands on him and healed him. 
So when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. They also honored us in many ways, and when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. And after three months, we sailed. So they're on this island for three months. If you remember correctly from last week, they were trying to get to Rome before winter hit. They were in late September, early October. They didn't make it because of the storm. And so they need to winter here before they move on. And this is where they winter after the shipwreck for three months. Now, there's a lot going on in this. And I just want to start right back at the beginning. Verse 3. They are wet. They are cold. They are shipwrecked. They don't know what's going on. I don't know about you, but the last thing I would think about is going and gathering up sticks. But Paul, the first thing he does is he says, I'm going to go serve. I I just love that about him. He's not going to get other people to gather sticks. He's going to go out himself in verse 3, and he's going to serve. Keep your hand here. Go with me to John 13, please. John 13. What an example Paul sets. What an example Christ sets himself as well, too, when it comes to this idea of ministering and serving. I was going through a season a while ago, really just kind of praying over things and just praying over my life. And I started realizing one of the biggest sins I battle is this idea of selfishness. We want what we want and we want it now. When I sit down and I do any type of marriage counseling, really what it comes down to is the selfishness. That's why as men we're called to love our wives as Christ loved the church. is because Christ had the most example of unselfish love. And that's why the women are called to respect and submit, even maybe when the husbands haven't earned it or deserved it, because that is that idea of that selfless love. It's difficult. It's hard to have love sometimes in the body of Christ because we want to be treated a certain way. We want the teaching a certain way, the decorations, the worship, whatever, and we become sometimes very selfish. And really what you see in Christianity is this constant dying to self. This idea of I'm not going to live for myself. I'm going to put the other interest of people before me. Paul's doing that by saying, hey, I'm going to go work. I'm going to go serve. I'm cold. I'm wet. Jesus set the example. Look at John 13. John 13, verse 12. So when he, meaning Jesus, had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to him, do you know what I have done to you? Now, a little bit of background. This is the night before Jesus is killed on the cross. This is his last night on earth, if you want to look at it from that perspective, before his death. And he is choosing to do the lowest of low jobs. This would be the lowest servant's job is that these men would come in 2,000 years ago with their open-toed sandals, feet covered in who knows what. And then that slave, that servant would meet you at the door and immediately go to his hands and knees and wash your feet. This is what Jesus does. Verse 13, you call me teacher and Lord and you say, well, for so I am. If I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Sometimes at home, Dawn will ask somebody to do something and there's not a really quick response. And so we'll say this, a little phrase in the Irvin household, hey, I need somebody to wash feet. It's not a job that anybody wants to do. Do you think 2,000 years ago there was a servant that says, oh, I hope I can be the foot washer today? I mean, that'd be the best job ever. No, no one wanted to do it. It was the lowest of the low. And so for Christ himself to do that, verse 15, I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Jesus set the example of service and selfless love. And I just wonder how different our relationships would be at a church, at home, in marriage, if we would do the same idea as I'm just going to go wash feet. Because it's just the example Christ said. And as I'm washing people's feet, look at verse 17. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. You're blessed. 
The best blessings I've ever received is when I'm out there serving and ministering. When I'm sitting there thinking of myself, focusing on myself, what do I want to do today? What would make me happy today? I'm not serving. I'm not ministering. I'm not going to be blessed. The closer I am to the feet of Jesus and just serving and ministering, the more the blessing is. I have noticed a lot that when people are not serving and ministering, they have way too much time on their hands. And when they have too much time on their hands, it's really easy to become nitpicking about stuff. It's really easy to become critical about stuff. Because they're not out there furthering the gospel. They're not out there furthering eternity. They have all this time to think and analyze from their own perspective and their own selfishness. And that's a really dangerous place to be. The people that I see with the most joy and the most blessing, they're just out there serving. Because they realize where God is moving in all these different areas. They realize how God is doing things. We can get a tunnel vision sometimes in ministry. If you're only involved in one ministry, maybe children's ministry or just worship or or just this or just that, it's easy to only see it from that perspective. God says, wait a second, I'm moving and doing so many different things. Just get on my feet and serve and you'll see what God's doing. And guess what? You will be blessed. You will be blessed by doing that. So Paul sets this amazing example of saying, I'm going to go serve even though I'm cold, I'm wet, I'm tired, I'm going to go serve. Great example. Jump back now to Acts 28. Guess what happens when you have that great heart and attitude of service? Verse 3, you get bit by a snake. That's what happens. This is why people don't want to serve. And from a fleshly standpoint, I don't blame them. If you don't serve, if you don't minister, you're not as likely to get bit. If you just stay on the sidelines, you're not going to get dirty. You're not going to get hit. I, I remember the first time my boys realized while watching the Super Bowl that everybody on the sidelines, whether they get in the game or not, all earn a Super Bowl ring. Everyone gets one. And a couple of my boys just didn't think that was fair. They didn't do anything. They didn't play. They didn't get muddy. They didn't get dirty. They just all earn a ring. That's the truth. They all earn a ring. thing is, I can get born again and saved in Jesus Christ I'm in. But I want to get in the game. But you know what happens when you get in the game? You're going to get hit. You're going to get muddy. You're going to get bit by a snake. And so what happens is people say, I want to get in the game. And they realize how difficult it is. They say, I just want to sit on the sidelines and wait till Jesus Christ returns and just enjoy life. I love about Paul. He's willing to go in there and you're going to get bit. I'm telling you right now, anytime you want to serve, anytime you want to serve, you're going to get bit. Know that. Be prepared for that. Because just as the serpent back in the book of Genesis, there's still a serpent today that wants to come out and bite us and deter us. And I don't know how many times people have wanted to move forward in their walking relationship with Christ. They get bit, and they just stop. It's too difficult. Appreciate prayer for Dawn and I. We're actually taking off uh, today after church. We're heading up to Dearborn, and we're going to help do a uh, Muslim VBS up there. And so we're going to actually uh, steal the Lego bricks and go up there and decorate a church up there with the same decorations down here. And then we're going to stick around, uh, stay overnight, and do a, a Muslim VBS up there. And there's over 100 Muslim kids that will show up to this. And what is just amazing to stop and think that here they are coming, and they get a chance to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, to really see what that is. So keep that in prayer. Um, so we'll be back late tomorrow. If you need something, I'll have my phone with me. I may not be able to catch it right away just because we're doing stuff, but uh, keep that in prayer. The reason I bring it up is because as we were planning this and getting this ready, guess what there is at home? There's tension. Because why? Because we're going to move forward, I hope, in the kingdom. That's going to happen. The enemy's going to push back. 
And as the enemy pushes back, there's going to be serpents that bite. There's going to be selfishness. There's going to be tension. There's going to be whatever. This is why it's amazing. If you decide that at 10 o'clock, you want to be at Walmart to get a gallon of milk, the enemy probably will say, not a problem. But you know how hard it is to get to church at 10 o'clock? The enemy pushes back. The enemy will. And so that's why it's so easy to just stay on the sidelines. You know, it's so easy to stop and say, hey, I don't want to have to worry about ministry and service and responsibility. Because every time I serve, something happens. You bet something happens. Trust me, I know. Paul, you're going to get bit. And as you get bit, what's going to happen? The next one, verse 4, when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow to live. Next thing is, people are going to judge you. They're going to look at you and judge you. That's exactly what happens. When you want to live a life for Christ, and, and that's where it is. It's an open life. Live life. People are going to judge you. I remember a few years ago when we were praying about just getting into foster care and just opening up our house and if people want to live there, we had this little phrase we're using. We just want to live life in front of people and hopefully really represent the Lord. And so then we got a, a foster placement. I'm like, yes, we're going to live life. Then I realized living life means living life 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Then I realized I don't want to live life in front of people. I want to come to church on a Sunday and fake it for an hour. It's a whole lot easier. This idea of somebody constantly watching and hearing every interaction you have with kids and your spouse and how you live, what you watch on TV, imagine that, being open. That's what they're doing. They see Paul and they see the snake and they're just going to assume, you know what, he's a murderer. Let's, let's talk about this a little bit. Go with me to Proverbs 18. Proverbs 18. We have a tendency as a society, as a nation, even as a church, to see a situation and just make a judgment call without knowing all the details. They saw Paul, saw Paul bit by a snake. He must be a murderer. Proverbs 18, please. Take a look at verse 13. He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. I want you to think about that for a second. He who answers a matter before he hears it, it's folly and shame to him. How quick are we to form a conclusion? How quick are we to jump to a conclusion and just say, this is why? We've made the joke out here before that people like to add another gift to the Holy Spirit. It's called reading minds. I know why he did that. I know what she's thinking. No, you don't. Oh, I do. I do. And what do we do in verse 13? We answer a matter before we hear it. And we want to have our opinion get out there. What are we really supposed to do? Jump ahead to Proverbs 18, verse 17. The first one to plead his call seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. How often do we do that? We just hear one side of the story and we just all of a sudden think we have all the details. That's a scary place to be. There was years ago years ago there was a situation that popped up and the details don't matter but somebody came and it came to that classic conversation of pastor you need to I hear that a lot pastor you need to and then doesn't matter just fill in the blank and so they had talked to an individual they got all the facts they needed to have and came to me and said this is what you're supposed to do pretty sure it wasn't prayed over pretty sure it wasn't sought over but they had everything and at that time I tried to stay very calm and I quoted to them Proverbs eighteen seventeen, and I said did you talk to the other person involved they said, no. I said, well, Proverbs 18, 17 says you probably should go get the other side as well, too, if you feel that led to get involved with it. 
And at this point, it's good to quote the other verse in Proverbs, and I forgot to look it up, where it says that getting in the middle of a quarrel not your own is like grabbing a dog by the ears. Just stay out. They went and talked to the other person, came back and said, I'm sorry. Because they didn't get both sides. And I just wonder, how often do we do this? We come to a conclusion with only hearing a little bit of the detail. Proverbs 18, 13. Next thing you know, we're judge, jury, and executioner. Or Proverbs 18, 17. We just hear one side. And this is what I hear from people saying, oh, I trust them. I know them. They would never lie. They would never, whatever. I've known them for their whole life. And the only thing I think of is Jeremiah tells me the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Who knows it? I know that, like it or not, when I tell a story, it's always going to sway a little bit my way. That's the selfishness in me. And sometimes I need to stop and realize, i got to get the whole detail here. Some people don't want to have that patience. I've joked before, there's a lot of people that want to bring back stoning. They really do. Let's just bring it back. We have enough information. Let's just take care of it. No, the Bible says let's walk in grace, love, and mercy and see what happens here. And let's stay out of those quarrels. Let's not grab the dog by the ears. But anyways, they see Paul. They just assume Paul's a murderer. They just know Paul's wrong. And so Paul's going to die. Now, what do you do if you're Paul? You're trying to serve and you get bit. You're trying to serve, people judge you. You're just trying to do what's right and everything's against you. Do you whine? Do you mope? Do you quit the church? Do you leave the body of Christ? Do you just stop? No. Verse 5, you shake it off. He shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They made accusations against Jesus. They made false accusations against Jesus. You shake it off. Now, sometimes the Lord leads where you need to go take care of that. That's a different teaching for a different day. There's plenty of verses that tell you how to biblically go handle a disagreement. But a lot of times what Jesus need to do is do exactly what it says in verse 5, to shake it off and let it go. How much time and energy do we waste worrying about what other people are thinking and saying about us? We come home and we just assume that every other coworker is talking about us over their supper table. We just assume that everybody's talking about us at church. We just assume that everything... No. We spend so much time and energy worrying and thinking about what everybody else says about us, rather than only stopping and realizing, I only care what God says about us. A few years ago, I did a, a study on man-pleaser versus God-pleaser, those verses in the Bible. And the word man-pleaser in the Greek is a really interesting word. It's where you put your time and energy into wanting and changing who you are so other people will like you. So if you talk to person A, the man-pleaser is saying, what would make them laugh? What would make them walk away from this conversation saying, boy, I really like that person. And so I'm going to adapt myself to them so they like me. Now I'm talking to person B, and I'm going to completely change who I am so they like me as well too. And your time and energy goes into wanting everybody to like you, and you just hope, oh, I hope they leave the conversation. They only have nice things to say about me. Rather than stopping and saying I'm supposed to be a God pleaser, did I represent Jesus Christ in that conversation? Did I point people towards salvation? Did I speak with truth and purity did i do those things and i just wonder how often do we focus on the man pleaser side of things i hope everybody likes me versus i hope god's proud of me well done good and faithful servant so paul shakes it off verse five i don't know about you i would want to go find that charred carcass of a snake and go show it to everybody and say you think i'm a murderer huh no paul shakes it off suffers no harm so now what happens verse six They were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead, but after they had looked for a long time, saw no harm come to him, they changed their mind and said that he was a god. How's that? You went from murderer to god, just like that, man. That's human nature. 
On a side note, this is the second time in the book of Acts that people thought Paul could have been a god. I don't know about you, but no one's ever confused me with God yet. But for Paul, they did it twice. So Paul right here serves, gets bit. Oh, he's a murderer, shakes it off. Nope, now he's a god. I tell you, is this not a picture of human nature in verse 6? Be careful of putting time and attention to wanting to please people. They will turn so quickly. The Lord doesn't. This is where you have Jesus on Palm Sunday where they're crying out, Hosanna. Then a few days later, they're crying out, crucify him. That's human nature. Go with me, please, to John 2. John 2. You've got to be careful of how much time and energy and mental thought you put into this. I only have so much time in my day. I only have so much energy in my day. And if I'm putting all that time and energy into what do people think about me, and I hope everybody likes me, i got nothing left for the Lord. John 2, verse 23. Now when he, meaning Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. Hey, that's great. Passover, it's one of the required feasts in the Old Testament. Jerusalem would have been full of people. And now Jesus is out there doing miracles. He's got a huge following. This is the time to go plant another church. This is the time to do this. This is the time to do that. Everybody loves him. Verse 24. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. Jesus knew. You love me now and you'll hate me tomorrow. Jesus knew if he kept feeding the 5,000 and the 4,000, everybody would follow him around. He'd have huge crowds. People will come to get something for free. There's no doubt about that. But Jesus, after feeding the 5,000 and the 4,000, he does this amazing teaching in John 6, where he says, I'm the bread of life. Anytime Jesus got a large following, he usually did a really difficult teaching because he was never in it for the numbers. And I love how he does this in verse 24. He did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. Jesus knew how man would love and then hate the next day. And I tell you this, if that's your focus in life, you're going to wear yourself out because your co-worker is going to love you the one day, and unless you do everything you can to please them, they're going to hate them the next day. You just can't do it. Lord, I get up, I serve you, I love you. I'm going to be blameless. I want to represent Jesus Christ in every interaction I have. And if my eyes are focused solely on the Lord, then I don't worry about that type of stuff. Because I just want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. I think there's a part of us as humans that wants people to like us. And it's difficult. We've joked out here many times before, if you wanted to pick a world religion where everybody liked you, Christianity is the worst choice you can pick. Because as soon as you say Jesus is the way, the truth, and life, no one comes to the Father but through him, you just offended billions of people across the world because you just said you're not saved. Jesus, remember what he said, I did not come to bring peace to this world but a sword. I came to bring division. As a Christian, when we take a stand for truth, it's going to offend people. It's going to cut. I know this as a pastor. People will love me one day. But as soon as I say, well, you know, the Bible says... And it goes against what they think, what they believe, what they want for their kids, what they want for their family, what they want for themselves. They're angry. You know, easy would be just to say, hey, go do what you want. Just love your version of God and just be happy. But we can't. There's truth and we need to follow that truth. So, Paul was willing to serve. He was willing to get bit. Didn't worry about it. Shake it off. People now think he's a God. 
What does Paul do with this? Well, look at the ministry now. So there's this leading citizen that usually means in verse 7, if you study it out, it means that it was a Roman representative that lived there to kind of keep everything in order. His father is sick, so Paul goes in, prays for him, lays hands on him, and heals him. And the next thing you know in verse 9, everybody's coming and getting healed. You're there for three months. Paul says, hey, I got an opportunity here to do something. So I got three months here. I might as well give it to the glory of God. What a great heart, mind, and soul. I don't know about you. I'd be sitting on that beach in my wet clothes, whining and moaning and saying, what's going on? Paul says, hey, I'm going to minister. I'm going to represent the Lord. We got this uh, devotional that we do of of different missionaries that have written um, like a testimony, like a devotional, etc. And there's this one that was over in the Middle East. He got arrested for sharing the gospel and he was thrown into prison and obviously it was not good. So finally, his brothers and the Lord got a chance to come visit him in prison, and they see him in prison. They start telling him, we're going to get you out. We're working as hard as we can. Hopefully, it's going to get you out. And the guy said, get me out. Why? He goes, I just started a Bible study. That was his mindset. I'm in here. I might as well serve and minister. And I'm just telling you right now, guys, you're going to face a shipwreck. You are. It's going to be a shipwreck of your health. It's going to be an emotional one. It's going to be a spiritual one. It's going to happen. And you're going to be on some beach that you don't know. And you're going to be wet. You're going to be cold. You're going to be angry. You're going to be upset. You're going to be hurt, depressed, discouraged, whatever. What are you going to do? How about you start ministering to people? That's what Paul did. Instead, we just want to sit there and say, woe is me. Paul says, verse 11, I got three months here. I'm going to use this for the glory of God. Those shipwrecks that we try to stay away from, sometimes in God's sovereignty and authority, he allows them to further the gospel. That's not a fun teaching, but that's the truth. And if you're in the middle of a shipwreck right now, the Lord may be using that in ways that you don't even know or understand. Are you willing, though? Are you willing to serve and minister? Because that's what we read in John 13. You will be blessed for that. You will be blessed. Can you go with me now to Psalm 42? Because it would be really easy to allow the flesh to get worked up and to walk in this despair and this depression and this discouragement. Psalm 42 is a great psalm concerning this. It's only 11 verses. We're not going to do a deep, in-depth study of it, but just follow along with me. Verse 1. As the deer pants for the water brook, so, my, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Right there's your start. Do you really thirst for the things of the Lord? I mean, there, there's a part of you that wants something more. Ecclesiastes says that God has put eternity into your heart. There's something where you want more. Are you, are you thirsting for that? Are you panting for that? Because it's only going to find fulfillment in the Lord. That's what it is. And I have noticed once again that in my selfishness, When I just go out and please James, I will walk away from that day with some fleshly fun, followed by a still a spiritual longing for more. The days that I'm most fulfilled is when I stop and I say, Lord, I'm just a servant. Who am I? I'm going to serve you. I'm just a vapor. You lead me. You guide me. You direct me. I see so many believers making huge life decisions without really ever saying what glorifies the Lord. Do I really pant for the Lord? Do I really thirst for the Lord? But the problem is this world's tough. Verse 3, my tears have been my food day and night while they continually say to me, where is your God? Have you been that way? Just day and night, you're overwhelmed, you're overcome. You're on the island shipwrecked. You're cold, you're wet, you're hungry, you're shipwrecked. And where is God? Only thing I have are my tears day and night. What am I supposed to do? Verse 4, when I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go with the multitude. 
I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise with a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. He stops in the middle of that discouragement and that despair. And he says, you know what I remember? I remember church. I remember going with them to the house of God. I like how the New Living Translation says in verse 4. My heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. I walked among the crowds of worshipers, leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks among the sound of a great celebration. You know, it's, it's kind of preaching to the choir here because you guys are here on a Sunday morning. But I tell you this, what I see in verse 4 is in that moment of despair, discouragement, how difficult it is. God says, verse 4, you need to be with the body of Christ. You need to be at church. That's where the joy and praise is amongst the group coming together. Now, that's difficult. You know why? Christians are really difficult people to be around. It's so much easier on a Sunday morning or whenever it is just to roll over in bed, turn your TV on. You don't even have to get dressed. You don't have to change. You can stay right there. You flip the TV on. You watch your 22-minute teaching, your half-hour teaching. You had church, and you go back to bed. We had somebody out here not that long ago that had a physical issue and wasn't able to make it to church for a while. And so they, I just checked in with them. How you doing? You need anything? Pray. How's it going? He goes, going great. And I don't think they meant it rudely. But they said, James, do you realize how good the teaching is on a Sunday morning on TV? It is really, really good. I said, I'm sure it is really good. It is. I get that. Roll over. Turn it on. Go home. I get it. But there's something about where God has said, I've called you to be the body of Christ. It's hard, folks. Christians are difficult to be with. We offend each other. We bother each other. And I'm telling you this, as time goes on, as we get closer to the end and Christ's return, Jesus said offenses will come. I see more and more people just so bothered by other Christians and people. I'm just going to stay home. The problem with that is you lose the accountability. Proverbs says iron sharpens iron. It's important to have that. And when we lose that, we part of that. So I think it's fascinating here in verse 4. First thing he says is, I remember the house of God, joy and praise. I remember that. And sometimes we just need to come to church, let it all go, and say, God, I'm here for you and your glory. Nothing else. Verse 5, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me, hope in God? For I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Now, I find it fascinating in verse 5. I used to teach, don't talk to yourself. That's dangerous. When you look in the Old Testament, there's examples of people talking to themselves, and it never goes good. When I talk to myself, I realize I really have the best ideas that have ever existed. I always think my ideas are great. I always find my jokes funny, and I really just think I'm wonderful. That's a dangerous place to be. Verse 5, he's not talking to himself. He's telling himself, buck up. Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. It always concerns me when I see this solo thing going on. That's what you see here in verse 4. That solo island thing, I'm on my own. Verse 5, I'm just going to talk to myself. We almost elevate that to some like spiritual, oh wow, you know, they're just on their own with the Lord. That's not what the Lord wants. What I've noticed is it looks very spiritual, but it actually in reality it becomes very weak. Because we need each other. That's the way God has designed it. And so in verse 5, I'm just going to talk to myself. Well, if you're going to talk to yourself, do what verse 5 says. Tell yourself to buck up in the Lord. Hope in God. For I shall yet praise him for the help of his continence. I'm going to hope in God and I'm going to praise God. When you are shipwrecked on the beach and you are cold and you're wet and you're hungry, the best thing you can do, verse 5, is praise God. Because that gets your eyes off you. Praise God. That's why the enemy attacks praise and worship so much. Always attacks praise and worship. 
Because when we're praising and worshiping God, we're not thinking about ourselves. We're bringing the sacrifice of praise. And that's why, as the body of Christ, sometimes we become music critics with worship. And we just got to let that go. And just stop and say, Lord, I'm just going to praise you. I'm just going to praise you, no matter what it is, because to you be the glory. Verse 6, oh my God, my soul's cast down within me, therefore I will remember you. And I list these areas here, from the land of the Jordan, from the heights of the Hermon, from the hill, Muzzer. He goes, I'm going to remember you. Now, we don't know those physical locations, but it would be for us, Lord, I'm going to think about you on the way to work. I'm going to think about you on the way home from work. I'm going to think about you as I go get groceries. I'm just going to always think about you because my soul is cast down. Verse 7, deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. And in the night his song shall be with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I'm getting overwhelmed here by the waterfalls, by the waves. Verse 7. So what do I do? I sing to you in verse 8 at night. I don't know about you guys. Night's the hard part. You're laying in bed and you just start thinking. Think about the things you should have said today and you didn't. Think about the things you said that you shouldn't have said. You think about the past and the bad choices. Then you think about the future and you worry about that. What does the psalmist say to do in verse 8? Just supposed to pray and praise at night. God's going to not sleep. He'll take care of it. Verse 9, I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with the breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? So God, you've forgotten me. Where are you? But then look at verse 11. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him. The help of my countenance in my God. He finishes with, no, my hope is in God. I'm going to praise God. If you look at this psalm, it's only 11 verses. Talk about the up and down. Verse 1 and 2. God, I want you. I thirst for you. I long for you. I'm up. Oh, now verse 3. My tears have been my food. Now I'm down. Oh, verse 4. I remember how good it used to be. Now I'm back up. Oh, I'm going to stay up now for a while. Verse 5, I'm going to hope in you. Oh, but now verse 6, I'm down again. And it just goes up, down, up, down. And the sad part, this is how some Christians live their lives. It's a roller coaster of up, down, up, down. If God repeats a verse, and he almost repeats it word for word, verse 5 and verse 11, it's there for a reason. If you're here this morning, and you are on the island, and you are shipwrecked, you're wet, you're cold, you're hungry, and you're just, woe is me, this is not fair, I'm getting bit by snakes, I just want to give up, I want to quit, I want to go by my own little fire and be by myself. Verse 11, why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Once again, this is why it's called the sacrifice of praise in Hebrews. Because you need to sacrifice thinking about you. I need to sacrifice thinking about me and stop and say, Lord, it's not about my boat sinking. It's not about me being wet and cold. It's about the glory of Jesus Christ. So how can I minister to these natives on this island? How can I represent you in the middle of this storm? Because that's where I'm going to find my hope and joy. As we said back in John 13, I am blessed when I serve. So, Lord, I just want to serve you even in the midst of the storm and be blessed in you, and that's where my hope and joy come from. And I just want to encourage you, if you do not have a lot of hope and joy right now, remember it says in Nehemiah, the joy of the Lord is your strength. If you don't have joy, you won't have strength. Your joy has to come through Christ. When you realize he is the foundation that does not go up and down, up and down, because that's what life will do to you. You're going to get bit by a snake one day and call to God the next day and then call to murder the next day. No, Christ is my foundation. I hope in him. That's what gets me through the storms of life. And if you're in the middle of a shipwreck right now, I cannot stress to you enough Psalm 42. Hope in God. 
Now, I think you're ready to close, and I'm pretty sure, Marv, there's no closer, right? Okay. So what we're going to just do now is just uh, have us close out with a word of prayer. If you guys would just stand with me, please. If you're going through a difficult time, I want to just have this moment right now where we just pray and just give this over to the Lord. Lord, we hope in you. If there's someone here today that's just disquieted, discouraged, depressed, they hope in you. Let them know you are the firm foundation that gets them through the day in all ways and all things. Be with them. Help them. Our praise is to you. Our glory is to you. And let our mind be focused on you. Help us to let go of all the shipwreck around us and just say, Lord, I praise you in this storm. That's where my joy will be. That's where I'll be blessed. We thank you for this week of VBS. And to you be the glory in your name. Amen. Before we let you guys go, I think they're going to start doing some tear down.